This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the 90s, Alex Kendall grew up surfing amongst the waves and nature of New Zealand. Always tinkering with gadgets, he received a scholarship to the University of Cambridge, got his PhD and started on a research project on deep learning. Wanting to try out his research in real life, Alex and his housemates built a self-driving car in 24 hours. In 2017, still in his student house, Alex founded Wave, a subtle reminder of his upbringing. Then Alex, receiving serious accolades like the BMVA Prize and Forbes 30 Under 30. But what happened next was crazy, getting coverage by the Washington Post, Wired, and an interview with Richard Branson. He raised over 258 million before partnering with his first big clients, grocery giants Ocado and Asda. Even bigger investors took notice, with Microsoft and the Meta chief AI scientist investing in a test drive with Bill Gates around central London. Alex, welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Hey, Jimmy. So tell us what it was like taking Bill Gates for a ride. What was the story behind that? I, it was phenomenal. I mean, this guy has created such a massive technological change. And again, my car was was awesome. To actually be able to drive autonomously through the centre of London was an experience that, that we were able to offer. And if you haven't seen the video, eating fish and chips with him in the back of our car was, was unforgettable. And how did it come about? Did he get in contact with you about it? Yeah, he reached out. I mean, he's always looking to see the next, you know, next exciting thing and, and wanted to come and check out our next generation, next generation approach to autonomous driving. So when I started this podcast, I just thought autonomous vehicles were exactly the type of company that we wanted to profile because they are by very definition the jobs of the future um but tell us where we are on the roadmap no pun intended in terms of when we're likely to see these on the streets of so autonomous vehicles are actually here today if you go to places like uh, phoenix a city in arizona in the united states you can download an app and ride in a car with no one in the front seat that's a remarkable experience it gives you a safe sustainable and accessible transportation in a city like that the question is, when are we going to see it in places like London? And as you know, London is a very complex environment to, to drive in. Uh, that's where I think AI, artificial intelligence, is going to be the unlock to make this possible. Uh, a lot of people, when you think of AI, you think of chatbots and co-pilots and things like that. And that's certainly where I think the conversation is for the next couple of years. But where we're going to see AI shift is it's not just going to be co-pilots and chatbots, but it'll be the physical machines that it can enable, intelligent machines, that allow us to do a lot more with our lives. And I think autonomous vehicles will be the first example of that. Uh, so, you know, what we're pioneering is 
this AI approach to autonomous driving that does let us operate in cities like London. Uh, we've been testing here for the last couple of years and uh, uh, you know, I'm really excited to see this technology transform uh, the city around the UK as well. And it is amazing if you watch the videos, particularly the one with Bill Gates, just how incredible it now is in terms of they are overtaking cyclists safely and so on. It's extraordinary to see. Um, when do you think we will see them more regularly on the streets of London? What's the timescales that we're looking at? So today we're in a development phase. We are trialling our technology. We've been to over 10 UK cities as far as Manchester, Leeds, Liverpool. Uh, we've even started commercial trials with our partners, Ocado Group and Asda, are doing last mile grocery delivery with our autonomous vehicles. But this is all in a, in a, in a trial phase. Um, we still have a period, another couple of years of technological development. Uh, we also uh, are looking forward to seeing regulatory reforms come in place in the UK that enable us to launch autonomous services. That's really uh, going to be when, uh, you know, when we can see the impact more broadly. And what are the regulatory challenges around it? Because this is one of the classic problems of entrepreneurs moving fast, breaking things, trying not to break things. Um, and regulation is very static. It takes a long time to change. Tell us what's on the horizon. It's been a mixed bag in the UK. So uh, to, to the credit, the government, the Law Commission, uh, started a review on how can we put in place liability and regulation structure for autonomous driving about five years ago. And that was really proactive. It was fantastic. Uh, there, was, there were consultations with industry. And we're now at a point where there's really fantastic and broadly agreed set of, of legislation between industry and government that uh, we're excited to see taken forward. Unfortunately, we've seen a bit of flip-flopping from the government uh, as, you know, last year it was announced that, look, they want to bring this in and put it in place for 2025, but then it got taken away and now there's uncertainty. It makes it really challenging to say, okay, look, we want to invest in and grow this in the UK market and we want to see the benefits of autonomy brought here. Uh, so I'm hoping that we'll see this legislation brought to Parliament soon. Uh, ideally in this, this fourth session uh, that we're going to see shortly. Yeah. And that will enable uh, the growing investment and ultimately the benefits of autonomy to, to be created here. Yeah, with the general election, there isn't long to be able to get these things yeah. through. And it would be a great shame for the UK to, to miss out on what is something, we've, like you say, we've been quite forward thinking of. But the benefits are, are, are extraordinary. If you think about it, uh, in, the UK, in, in London, for example, car parking takes up 10 times the size of Hyde Park in terms of land mass. Cars are used maybe 3 or 4% of the time. The rest of the time they sit there idle, doing nothing. What happens if you have autonomy where you can suddenly utilise vehicles uh, and create a lot more sustainable transportation? Or even uh, car accidents are estimated to, to, to cost 2% of Britain's GDP. When you think about congestion, um, the actual healthcare costs of accidents and, and all of the people that really sadly are hurt on our roads every day, I think autonomy is the technology that can drive that number down to zero. Yeah, and that's extraordinary. And the aviation industry has been successful at that in recent years as well. So it is possible to, to move transportation in this way. What do you think freeing up that amount of car parking space could do for a city? Well, it's interesting. When you think about uh, creating healthier streets for society, uh, when you have that land freed up, you there's been some studies that have shown you can create a lot uh, better interaction between pedestrians and, and shops to increase turnover and engagement and shop fronts. Uh, you see, of course, safer streets uh, makes it more accessible to people with different forms of mobility. Um, so ultimately, I think it's going to be the biggest shift that, uh, you know, that we see in our urban cities for over a century. And the government's own statistics say that it could lead to a sort of 2% increase in GDP over the next decade, right? Yeah, we're here at the 
Tony Blair feature of Britain conference. That's a pretty extraordinary statistic that could improve the UK economy. The government's estimated that autonomous driving by 2035 can be a £42 billion opportunity and create about 40,000 jobs. So it's, it's really sizable. Uh, and if, more generally, if, if you look at things, I think artificial intelligence is uh, it, it's going to be the biggest shift, technological shift we see in this generation. And, and the key thing is we've got to recognise that it's not just chatbots and co-pilots. I mean, those are extraordinary in themselves. But when you think about embodied AI, bringing this AI into the physical world um, with examples like autonomous driving or, or other forms of robotics, you know, this is a huge opportunity for us to be able to increase our agency as a society and be able to achieve a lot more with the aid of intelligent machines. And we'll come back to the 40,000 jobs because very interested in that. But what led you down this path? What inspired you to make self-driving cars the thing that you were going to work on? I mean, I'm fascinated with, you know, building incredible uh, technology that can have impacts like, like what we've been talking about. And for me, um, there's nothing bigger than AI at the moment, uh, but we live in a physical world, and so I really want to see it go beyond internet and software and actually be able to, to do some of the things that we've been talking about. So this fascination with this and, and you know, to be honest, the chance to actually um, study this problem for many years uh, at the University of Cambridge, that led to the genesis of, of some of the ideas that let us create Wave and, and, and grow the company to where it is today. And what, because you have a very academic profile, right? Because let's not you know, beat around the bush on this. This is very complicated stuff, to put it mildly. You need um, an incredibly intelligent, academic intelligent team to be able to put all this stuff together. So talk us through your background to it, because you're, you're not from Britain either, right? As people might have guessed from the accent. I did grow up in New Zealand. Uh, I had a wonderful um, uh, youth and childhood there. I was fortunate enough to, to win a scholarship to Cambridge University, which is you know, the reason why I've come over here. And I think there's a real strength in thinking and talent here in the UK, particularly in the AI space. Uh, and it's been interesting to, to, you know, to grow the business to where we are today because, wow, I think we've brought on some, uh, I get to work with some, some incredible colleagues that have taken the technology a lot further than, than, than I have and are really who are building you know, the, the guts of the system today. Um, but, you know, we've also uh, been able to learn a lot from Silicon Valley and from the US. Many of our investors are US-based, have helped fuel the company to where we are today. Um, and I've certainly learned a lot from the entrepreneurs that, that I look up to and have been able to meet in their ecosystem. So I think it's been a, a, it's a really interesting mixed bag here. The UK is a global platform and on the talent front, um, you know, uh, I think the team we've been able to assemble is truly world-class. Um, but I've, I've also been inspired and have really looked to uh, some of the amazing results in Silicon Valley uh, for, for what it's going to take to grow the company to the next stage. Which entrepreneurs inspire you? Oh, you're going to put me on the spot and ask me to Sorry. name names. Yeah, um, uh, yeah look, I, um, I'm really inspired by deep technology problems. You know, not, uh, you know, not an Instagram for cats or, or, or some, some software play like that, but I... I I've been I've been inspired by some of the technologies that have fundamentally changed things, whether it's um, you know CRISPR or other forms of biotechnology, or some of the work going on in nuclear fusion right now, um, transportation. Uh, uh, I think these are the kind of things that are hard. Uh, they take uh, sustained investment over time in the most elite teams. Um, but if you if you have the ecosystem for that, the results can be uh, can be the things that that really matter. When you sit back at the end of a century and say what. What was what really mattered that century? Um, you know, I, I think think I, I'm not belittling like 
you know, the latest um, fintech platform is, is super important for an efficient economy. But if you think about what really was important in the, well, in the 20th really century, right? it's those big, hard, deep technology changes. And, and that's what we can't forget, uh, uh, you know, forget as a society. And what, what has been your experience of raising capital for something that is a seriously long-term bet as well? Uh, it's been an interesting experience because we, I've really tried to find the right investors that, uh, that you know, aren't doing this kind of thing as a sideshow, but really deeply believe in it. Um, and some of our, our, our backers that include um, Bolded and Capital, First Minute Capital and Bailey Gifford here in the UK um, have, have been you know, real champions and believers of us. And it's, it's been great to engage quite deeply with them on, on building the company. And then on the US side, uh, you know, whether it's our, our um, Eclipse Ventures uh, or some of our partners that are, are real specialists in the robotics and AI space or our strategic partners like Microsoft, um, we've, we've really tried to bring uh, an ecosystem of partners around the business that gives us all the ingredients we need to succeed. Yeah. And how many people are you employing? Our team's about 210 or 220 today. It's, uh, it changes by the week. <laughs> And, and how has it been sort of scaling that? And what were the first employees you looked for? It's changed because uh, one, one of the interesting things about building this company is there's been various different chapters we've gone through um, and, and each of them have enabled the next one and, and have been, but the, the thing that's sort of been the common thread through them all is the foundation we put in place, the mission, the culture uh, and the people that, that carry us on that journey. You know, at the start, we were a, a small number of um, you know, research scientists really trying to, to pioneer a, a proof of concept of what the future of autonomous vehicles might look like. What is a system that'll take us to 100 cities and beyond? Um, and there, we, we rented a small house in Cambridge. Uh, we lived there, we ate together. The small bedroom was our server room. Uh, the large bedroom was our, our boardroom or our meeting room. And uh, in the garage, we prototyped a car that was able to drive for the first time with reinforcement learning, with machine learning. Wow. And it learned how to drive for itself. But you know, it was a it was a demo. It could drive around the block. It's you know allowed us to raise funding, but but you know it was far from a product. It's a very different type of garage start <laughs> than we used to. <laughs> it was fun. You know, we had the uh, a cable going out the window to connect the the car to our, our servers. We were had it up on stilts and we were playing around with the thing. And um, tell you what, when it first worked, when we first were able to go around the block and came back to the house, we threw I think one of the biggest parties I've <laughs> ever had in in, uh, in my life. It was a really exciting moment. But you know that was a that was a seed. That was a foundation that allowed us to raise the capital that moved us to London. Have set up our fleet. Um, you know we've we've built out the team with the expertise to take that proof of concept and productionize it. The engineering um, workhorse and, and and product expertise that can build a system that's robust and can be trusted by its users. Um, it's it's uh, also been a time where we've built out the partnerships. You know we are. Uh, 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 our, our model is to, to license this AI driver to the world's most innovative and big fleets and automotive manufacturers. Uh, and so building out the partnerships to see this deployed in production is, is, is where we're taking things. While retaining uh, world-class scientific expertise that enables us to produce those next breakthroughs. I can tell you about two really quickly. You know, we've, we've seen generative AI being able to transform what we can do in simulation, being able to generate scenes that um, uh, that allow us to to synthetically create data that of of the crazy and uh, wonderful edge cases that you see on the road, so we can build a more reliable AI system, um, or bringing in large language models in our system. The power of language to communicate and interact with robots. You know, I think in the future, backseat driving will be a thing where you can talk to a self-driving car and actually understand 
why it's making decisions and help guide it with what you want it to do as a machine. Just thinking about the design principles of a car for a second, like how do you think the car might change in the future? Oh, look, there's such opportunity for that, Jimmy, uh, whether it's um, changing the way that we... Uh, so, so first of all, as you move towards autonomy, uh, that allows you to um, do things like change the way the environment of the car is set up. So a lot of the windows right now in a car are transparent because the driver needs to see outside them. Yes. When you see a machine taking on that responsibility, then the car can become a hub for productivity, sleep, infotainment. Um, you can see you know, connective car techno uh, connected car technology come, uh, come on board where you could even create more efficient roading systems, um, perhaps change the way that traffic signals or traffic lights operate. Now all of these, it's important to recognize that these kind of things are going to be uh, going to come in once autonomy is, is, is to a level of scale. You know, as an industry, we are building autonomy that will integrate with society as we see it. And that's really what we're going to see in the near term. But once you see it widespread, then that gives you opportunities for more significantly improving the way that mobility works, ultimately to provide a more seamless experience to, to the consumer or to society. And what do you think are the biggest barriers to this happening? Surely they're cultural, right, in terms of you know, people not wanting to feel like they've lost control when in the car. How are you going to overcome that? We see mixed messages around that, actually, because, um, you know, recent studies have shown that there is a real appetite um, from, from society to see autonomy, uh, excitement for it, and belief that it will provide a better future. You know, everyone knows someone that's been hurt in a car accident, and we don't want to see that again. Uh, you know, the, 1.3 million people a year dying on our roads and orders of magnitude more injured is a stat that we should not be proud of. So there is broad consumer appetite for this technology and for good reason. Um, but of course, I think, uh, I think people need to be taken along for the journey as this technology goes out. It's not something we can just turn on overnight. So the way we trial and um, you know, uh, expose and build confidence in this technology is, is I think a key thing when we build this. And where did the name come from? Wave. I, I'm growing up in New Zealand. I'm a I'm a very amateur surfer. I love love catching waves. And unfortunately, moving to London, there's no beach nearby that I can do that. And so, what's the next best thing? We can we can ride a wave home by catching one of our vehicles in the city. So that's that's where the name Wave came from. Brilliant. And we we sort of got sidetracked there about asking about the jobs and how you build a team of 200 uh, by your great origin story of the of the student house kind of pulling it together. What's it been like at the various different stages? You know, where, where have the sort of, where have the transitions in you as a leader kind of come in at those points? Because you're, you're 200's a big starter, right? So like what, what have the transition periods been in building that team? It's really come with technological milestones um, and, and product proof points that have given us these inflection points to, to, to grow and, and like earn the right to tackle the next stage of, of growth. I mean, my job has is, is entirely changed over the last five years from writing our first code to um, you know, growing a team, bringing on board the partnerships and the ecosystem and ultimately uh, the environment that, that we have today. But for the key thing for me is that it's so important to create a diverse team to tackle this problem. Uh, you know, the diversity we have at Wave from people that have been in the AV industry and have seen uh, you know, early examples from, from other teams of, of this technology on the road uh, to uh, people with deep scientific expertise that are some of the most intelligent people I've had the chance to meet um, to commercially minded people that uh, understand what it takes to create a product and have the passion for building something in production. 
that diversity of thought and experience and background has been so key. Um, and that's come from around the world, like a significant portion of the business, you know, myself included, are here on visas, have relocated to London um, because we're all passionate about this mission. Uh, we have an office in San Francisco in, in, in uh, California uh, where we've been able to also learn from, from the set of experiences that, that you have out there. Uh, but the thing I'd call out is that to build the right product that can be um, appreciated, robust and succeed, it, it takes a diverse and highly capable team. Totally. And why King's Cross? I mean, it's like Sal, Saul Klein, local <laughs> globe, calls it the new sort of, the new square mile, the new Palo Alto. Mm -hmm. Like, but tell us why King's Cross. I mean, we're, we're just down the, well, we're on the same road as Saul's office, <laughs> but uh, look, King's Cross, it, it is the techn tech, tech, technology hub, right? Uh, but the special thing for me is that it doesn't just have the, you know, uh, aluminium and glass skyscrapers of the, the big tech giants, but also this industrial area with, I mean, on our road, you've got a, a pasta factory, uh, a, a brewery, a music studio, and a, and a venture capitalist. But we have these warehouses where our team and our fleet, our development fleet are, uh, are co-located. And so, you know, we're not at, you know, arm's length where it's an hour to travel to actually see the, the robots in action. But yeah. you can develop and live and breathe the AI in one space. And that's a hive of innovation. We've built the premier robotics mecca right in the heart of London, in King's Cross, uh, with the team, talent, the vehicles, um, and, and of course, all of the other infrastructure to make this possible. Where, what other sectors do you, going slightly off topic, off your topic now, but where else do you see robotics having a big impact on the way we live our lives? I mean, over time, it's, it's going to be transform uh, so many things and be able to, uh, uh, accelerate what we're able to do. But I think the, in the practical reality of, of making it possible, you need to have hardware platforms at scale. You need to have a business case that's viable and you need to have data to be able to train these systems. The reason why you know, we're building um, AI for embodied intelligence, the reason why we're starting with autonomous vehicles is because that most prominently exists there. There are cars everywhere. Uh, we can have access to the data that enables us to create the future of transportation. And the business model is really clear. This is a um, you know, uh, there, there is a um, service that, that these, these vehicles can provide that's transformative and valuable to society. Now, I'm also excited about things like domestic robotics, you know, going beyond a Roomba or a, a dishwasher, but something that can really help assist um, the, the domestic lives we have, manufacturing, to pull out another example, um, and you know, there's many more. These ones are going to need a lot of innovation on the hardware and, and also to create the exposure that allows you to create intelligent platforms. Um, there's some work to be done, but they will come too. And I think it's, um, I think the 2030s will be a decade of where we're talking about embodied intelligence and seeing the, the, the you know, there are challenges, but ultimately the opportunities that they can bring. You're not that old. Um, <laughs> but All right. If, if um, if you were a young graduate now, or somebody that's just left school, and you're thinking, this is what I want to do. You're right, you've inspired me. This in our century, in the 2030s, this is going to be what matters. What would you recommend people go and read, do? Like, where are the opportunities? I think uh, people learn in different ways, and so I don't want to, 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 to prejudge everyone here. You know, my personal style was to go out and, and, and do, and so, whether it's tinkering around with things, building and creating. Uh, ultimately, I think whatever works for you, uh, creating the critical skill sets that are resilient as technology changes. You know, right, 
if you want to build a robot, uh, you know, 10 years ago, it was all about, um, you know, motors and C++ software engineering and things like this. But that's changing. You know, today it's all about being able to um, architect and design systems and leverage AI technology to actually implement it. Uh, and, you know, our team is heavily uh, invested in leveraging the latest um, uh, large language models and AI technology to write better software more quickly, um, to analyze and improve our systems. And so the best engineers and the ones that I certainly think are, are going to compete today are those that have been able to immerse and adopt these kind of technologies. But that will change. And in 10 years, we'll see new technology that, that takes us even further. So the point is, is over-specializing in a technology now, I don't think is the right strategy. You want to build um, uh, you know, curiosity, critical thinking, problem solving, and ultimately the, uh, the, the human relationships to be able to actually create impact from that. I think that kind of skill set will be resilient through technology change and it's highly sought after. We were talking about software engineering. When I first started this podcast three years ago, it was one of the reasons we slightly moved away from just interviewing entrepreneurs because I was like, there's only so many times I can hear we're short of software engineers and data scientists. But you said something really interesting earlier about how software engineering is changing fundamentally. I mean, it is. Uh, we've been talking about the impact of AI and there's no better example in, in software engineering. Um, there's been stats thrown out. I, I actually don't know the specific, I, I don't have a quantified number for our team, but you know, between 40% to 200% productivity improvement uh, can be gained by using these AI tools like GitHub's Copilot and others. Mm. Uh, it's remarkable. And, and not only that, but the nature of work is changing. You know, no longer are you writing specific algorithms, but instead you're architecting systems, putting it together and letting the AI write the systems. Then you have to review and check that it's safe and works and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's changing the skill set. Um, it's you know there's there's a lot of analogies that you can you can point to in the history of jobs of of, of how that's happening. And you still need to know the fundamentals mm. to be able to leverage this kind of technology. But where you spend your time is changing, and the leverage you can get is different. And um, yeah, as I said, I think the best software engineers are those that are leaning into and embracing this change. How do you keep learning and development going as a leader yourself? It's a tough one because you've got so much coming at you that if you're not deliberate about it, you, you won't make time for it. Um, so for me, it's about ensuring that I, I time block, uh, you know, time to actually spend being curious, reading and exploring. Also, um, surrounding yourself with the best people. Uh, I, I, I think, you know, who you surround yourself will really rub off on you and the things you get exposed to, the people you talk to. Um, but importantly, people that can challenge you and say, hey, look, that assumption you've had for four or five years is flawed. Here's why. Yeah. And then having that debate. Um, so, you know, at Wave, a lot of it is about building an environment that, that has, we have psychological safety, where we're a meritocracy, where the best ideas can, can, can win. And that kind of environment, I think, fuels the best innovation. One final question. If you were to pass the mic uh, to another entrepreneur in the robotics AI space, who should we go and have a chat with? Well, you know, um, if it's any signal, it's, it's no surprise that some of the world's most prominent, um, you know, entrepreneurs are, are really focused in this space. Um, well, examples like Elon Musk, Amon Shashua, um, uh, or, or, or I'd, I'd love to get Elon on, but I'm a bit <laughs> of a stretch. <laughs> well, I, I point out those examples because uh, if you've got some of those minds focused on this problem, it is, uh, is going to be a significant one. Unfortunately, there aren't many people working on it. Uh, in the UK, uh, which I wish there were more, and and hopefully we can um, uh, we can be a trailblazer for for others to follow. Fingers crossed. 
Thanks so much for coming on Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. We've said that we'll do this again and we'll, we'll do it at your site and we can test uh, one of these cars, which I can't wait for. Really looking forward to it. Let's surf the wave. Thank you, Jimmy. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. We've come a long way since our first episode when I started recording this on my own in my daughter's nap times. We are now a team that not only pulls together a podcast, but also creates content on multiple channels, whether that is our Substack, looking at the latest trends in business, entrepreneurship, and the future of work, or some of our more lighthearted takes on TikTok. And of course, our best moments are on YouTube. To find all our socials and best content links, click on the links in the show notes below.